Gaming Super Dave here. Thank you for joining me. Hey, it's getting very close to the end of 2023. We're in the midst of the holiday season. As you can tell, Progwarts behind me is all decorated for Christmas. I hope all of you are either enjoying your holidays or getting ready to have a fantastic holiday season, having fun on the way to it. Meanwhile, of course, the end of the year means what? It means it's time for all those top 10, top 20 lists, all the awards and things like that as we wrap up the end of what has been a very, very good year for Prague. So, what am I doing here? I'm going to be bringing to you my top 20 albums, Prague albums, of 2023. I'm going to break it into two editions so you can digest it a little bit at a time, otherwise it might get a little long. But I took my last month or so, a little bit close to that, and broke down more than 40 albums that came out this year to try to arrive at a list that I think think reasonably reflects my feelings about the albums that I listened to. I'm going to tell you, this was tough. It was really tough. This is a very, very abundantly great year for prog rock. There's been so many wonderful albums that have come out and narrowing that down to just 20 was harder than I expected it to be. Matter of fact, I could have easily given you a list of 40 or 50 and felt really good about recommending all of them. So that tells you how good a year it has been. But what we're going to do is I'm going to give them to you 10 at a time, my top 20, going to do my best to represent what I think were my favorite albums of the year. This is not my attempt at an objective rating at who was best or who did the best work or who had the best album. It's a matter of just me saying these are the albums that resonated with me the most in this past year. And honestly, it could have been 30, 40, or even 50. Not not even trying hard because there were so many great albums. But here are some things I found in the process of doing this. Number one in this list, there are some running themes. One of the big themes that I noticed and was strange was just the bevy of absolutely stellar debut albums, bringing us new faces and new voices to the progosphere. And it's a wonderful thing because you get to see the opportunity of, of having new music, new voices, new sounds. And what was also wonderful was seeing those that are doing them, these young folks coming up, listening to the stuff, not all the way back from the 60s and 70s, but also listening to what came after. So this is like third, fourth generation Prague here. And that's just awesome. I, I love the idea of seeing that happen. And these bands that are comparatively recent, like Opeth and Porcupine Tree and Dream Theater and all that stuff, and Haken having this influence that's now being reflected back to us. That's, that's an awesome thing. Number two, um, a lot of albums, it seemed, that took a very long time in development that were gestating over extended periods of time, 10 years or more even. And I think perhaps their quality is reflected in the fact that it took so long to, to, to develop them, that they weren't rushed, that they weren't brought along too quickly. I don't know. We may never know because we never get a chance to do them over again. But it's surprising how many on this list were albums that were basically baking for a very extended period of time, much longer than you normally expect for albums to develop. Another is, interestingly enough, a surprising absence of some huge names. People that are 
titans in the world of Prague that didn't show up on this list. Surprised myself, as a matter of fact. So that'll be something we get to. You may judge me for it. <laughs> You're certainly free to do so and go, Dave, what were you thinking? How did you exclude these people? How did you not include so-and-so? Hey, I did what I did. And just like my reactions, I don't give you BS. So I'm going to tell them how I see them. I'm going to call them like I see them. And finally, it is, as I said before, a reminder of just how vibrant the world of Prague is right now and how much wonderful stuff is coming out from new and old artists that it's enough to fill lists like this all over the place. So that's been an amazing part of 2023 that I've thoroughly enjoyed, and I'm hoping to get more of that in 2024. So a little bit of my methodology here. So as I noted, I listened to over 40 albums uh, the hotter, notable, best-reviewed albums of the year. And then I re-listened to them, and I had to sort it through and re-listen to some of them again just to make sure I, I felt comfortable with my ranking, which, believe me, after a certain point, got really tough. I'm not great at that sometimes. And because it was so difficult, you know, I had to say there are some that I felt really good about as well. They got left off this list. Sorry, I apologize for that. And, and I should note, you know, if you think I might be influenced one way or the other out of, out of simply reflecting how I felt or being objective or something like that, I interviewed a lot of people this year. And as I've noted in other videos, I don't like to do reviews much because I don't want that getting in the way of me interviewing with people or them being accessible to me or being upset with me because I didn't like their last album or something. But if you look at this list, there are a lot of people on it that I did interview. There's also a lot of people on it, not on it, I should say, that I interviewed. And I feel really badly about that. I feel so terrible if I didn't put everybody on there. But I knew I couldn't just do that because that wouldn't be genuine. So, is what it is. Um, I tended towards harder-edged sounds, newer sounds, more modern sounds on average. A few notable exceptions here and there. But that is my tendency. It has always been my tendency to move forward more than back and to gravitate towards the harder edge of Prague than the more traditional mellower edge. Doesn't mean that's always the way I go, but it does influence me and it is a tendency on my part. I tended towards albums with a more varied soundscape, as I call it. In other words, perhaps there was a cohesive sound and tone to the songs in many ways, but the songs in terms of textures and tempos and overall sounds there was a lot of variety i'm not sure i'm describing it as well as i'd like to but a lot of variety within the palette that the artist has created so the more variety there the more i tended to like it especially if it was a newer sound as you know from some of my other videos i definitely like unique voices unique styles so that's the kind of thing i gravitate to and i also tended to gravitate more towards albums where the artist surprised me a bit, extended themselves a little bit further outside of what they traditionally have done, uh, pushed themselves into new territory and things like that. So the more I felt somebody stretching out of their comfort zone, on average, the more I tended to like it. So that's how that would go with me. So that'll maybe give you a slight idea of what I might have put in this list. And it might not. I still think there are some things that are going to surprise you along the way. So, breaking this into two parts, this will be part one, 
And this is going to review albums number 20 through 11, as you can guess, if you can do some basic math. So follow along. All right. Coming in at number 20, Subsignal, The Poetry of Rain. So this is, and again, that common theme among a number of albums I've heard this year that I didn't mention was a uh, albums from bands that have been around for a while that I didn't <laughs> didn't catch on to before. So also another thing that may not be as readily obvious is that there are a lot of albums out there that had deceptively accessible overall overall sound. Uh, the the songs were immediately a little bit catchy, I guess you might say, that they were songs that weren't immediately overly complex or, or or odd time signatures or all that, that they might be good ways to introduce somebody to the world of rock because they are a little bit more mainstream in the approach. And yet somehow in the mix, there are layers of complexity that are not immediately noticeable and yet will reveal themselves upon repeat listenings. And Subsignal, The Poetry of Rain, was definitely one of those. There was definitely a bit of complexity under that that hook-laden sheen that they put forward. And in addition to, these guys brought real nice touches to the music with their vocal harmonies that were just subtly different. I probably couldn't put my finger on it, but just subtly different than what you normally have. And uh, these added multi-genre flourishes here and there. I know the one song ends with bit of a country flavor to it and things like that. And they just brought these little things in. They weren't massively noticeable. They weren't hitting you in the face with all these different genres and feeling like it's disjointed. It all blended together really, really nicely. And so it's like music that was easy to catch on to on that first listen. And with this being their sixth studio album, you got to think these guys know what they're doing by now. Uh, but oddly enough, it was my first exposure to them. Somehow they have slipped under my radar, maybe because they're German and maybe not as well known in the U.S. And maybe because I hadn't been as deep into the world of Prague in the last five more years than I have been in the five years since. So who knows? But it's definitely somebody that I've got to do some backtracking and go back and learn a little bit more about. They've got five other albums I need to go listen to, hopefully at some time in the near future, if I can get to it. All right, so number 19, The Fusion Syndicate, Beautiful Horizon. So this one obviously uh, runs against my tendency towards surprise me with something new or my tendency for newer sounding music. And yet they did this in this, this glorious throwback to psychedelic, progressive jazz fusion from the 70s with a tone of the 70s from both sound and execution. Um, wow. Yeah. Like it was one of those things that came out of the blue and was completely unexpected on my part. And this one was put together and organized and produced by Billy Sherwood of yes. Uh, and the, pro- the prog collective, the progressive collective prog collective. Yes. Didn't write it down, <laughs> but it's, it features a huge, huge collection of some of the biggest stars of modern prog and jazz including just to name a few Rick Wakeman of, of yes, fame, Steve Morse, Jordan Rudess, Gavin Harrison, Chester Thompson, Tony Kay, Percy Jones, Billy Sheehan of all people, interestingly enough, and 
Someone whose name I've not seen in a very long time. I'm so happy to see pop up for the first time, at least in anything I've looked at. And that would be the one and only Mel Collins, which is fitting because for whatever reason, this year, saxophone has seemed to have made a comeback in rock music. And I'm thrilled for it. There's almost a collection of songs I put together where sax has suddenly come back and it was an element of modern music that seemed to have disappeared, at least the stuff I was listening to. And I would hear it more often when I was listening to my older music from the 80s or the 70s. So it was very cool to hear Mel Collins back in action. I wondered if he was still playing. So very cool. So I just didn't expect to so thoroughly enjoy or even find out of the blue this, this instrumental prog jazz fusion album with so much 70s style oozing out of it. There you go. It's right there. And I, it's just a very cool, groovy, yep, I said groovy thing. And hey, if you dig that as a bonus, they released two albums this year. <laughs> There's a second one. So there is plenty of that where the rest came from. And that was their second and third album. So very cool there. Very cool. Next at number 18 is The Chronicles of Father Robin. The songs and tales of Aroea. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. The songs and tales of Aroea, book one. So this one, if you've heard it, recognize immediately too that this is the second very consciously throwback sounding album on my list this year. Uh, they came out of nowhere for me. I, I just all of a sudden they were there and I noticed them and I checked it out. Um, so as it turns out, these, uh, this band are a bunch of guys from various Nordic bands, including Wobbler and Two Smork, Two Smorka, <laughs> Yorgio, dude, I don't know how to pronounce any of this stuff. And the Samuel Jackson five, easily the most Nordic sounding name of a band you've ever heard, right? I thought so. Anyway, they got together, these guys approximately 30 years ago, 93, I believe it was. And have, honest to God, been working on this debut triple album, triple album for 30 years. Part three comes out in February. This was, of course, part one, book one, I'm mentioning. Book two came out shortly after this one did, very close together. And part three in February. So what you've got here, these guys who, who basically blended together a whole bunch of sounds and influences from late 60s, early 70s, prog and rock. And there's some subtle modern flourishes throughout, but for the most part, it really kind of stays in that realm. Digging up sounds like early Moody Blues and Jethro Tull and Yes and King Crimson and ELP and, and all the greats without necessarily sounding like any one of them, but you can certainly hear the DNA in it. And, you know, there are little bits here and there uh, in this time capsule that speak to a more modern sensibility, but those are kept really subtle. You know, a bit of hard rock flourishes here and there. Book two does tend to drift a little bit more towards the folkier side. So depending on whether you like a little bit of the modern stuff, it's not heavy though. It's just enough to be noticeable. But what a cool album, what a cool find this was in this long, extended, conceptual story. 
and they've been working on this for 30 years. Now, when I talked about albums that took a long time to gestate, I don't know that you can take much longer than that. That's impressive. I think that's got to be a record of some sort. All right, so a couple albums there where we're talking about those throwback sounds. And now we're going to move completely in the opposite direction of that, because the next one at number 17 is Temek. At least I think that's how it's pronounced. could be Temek. I'm going with Temek. Terror Management Theory. This is a banger. This is a banger of an album. Decidedly not throwback. This is exceedingly modern sounding electronic influenced metal edge. Not quite metal, but really close enough there to qualify in my book. And it's bringing together former Haken keyboardist uh, Diego Tejeda, uh, Neil Morse band guitarist Eric Gillette, uh, as well as uh, Simon Star- Sanders, pardon me, and vocalist Frederick Klemp. Very impressive debut from them. A hard-edged, melodic. The electronic and keyboard flourishes are very upfront, but really upfront as just the the soaring vocals and the the rhythmic dynamism, if I can use that word. I'm surprised I said it on one take. <laughs> really grabbed me from the start. And honestly, the count, the song Count Your Losses has been an earworm for me since it came out. So that, to me, was uh, evidence of a band that really came out charging and just really a great collection of songs that, that grab you from the start with the melodicism and the rhythm, just very heavy in the bass and the drums. And just like they definitely have their own sound established right away. There, there's no mistaking them for somebody else. You're not immediately saying, gee, they sound just like blah, 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 blah. They don't. So check them out. Uh, that's if you haven't found them, they're, they're really impressive stuff. Uh, they do tend to stick to more concise compositions, uh, but the prog chops are on full display. So really depressed, really depressive, really impressive debut. Got to watch those words together. All right, coming in at number 16, a band out of Australia called Unitopia. The album is Seven Chambers. Uh, so there, there are two gentlemen in this band that are the linking cartilage, so to speak, between another, this band and another Australian prog band, Southern Empire. Both of them released albums this year, which made it kind of tough to choose because they're both really, really strong albums, and both of them were could have both easily fit into my top 20 spoilers both did not so this one really of the two for me i think just clicked a little bit better uh in a sense of a little bit greater cohesion in the musical composition and styles on display but also i think you know they're they're just as ambitious with orchestral strings and a choir and all that but they leaned a little bit more towards the hard edge. That's where it grabs me. And, and great vocal harmonies, uh, just nice. Again, those, those songs that can grab you immediately, and yet the complexity is still there. And repeat listening just brings out the depth into music so that the more you hear it, the more you have to find. So that's really very cool, and I like that. That's always the kind of thing that's appealed to me. Uh, they really do also show off their epic prog chops with the, the final track, which I think is like 19 minutes long, called The Uncertain. So they're epic, sprawling, everything in there. They go all out. Very cool. Very cool album. 
harder to find because I did not find it on streaming. I had to dig it up elsewhere. Why that is, I don't know. All right, coming in, number 15, Galahad, The Long Goodbye. So these guys are long timers from England. Uh, This is their 12th studio album. And I have to admit, it's my first time hearing them. They've kind of been on the periphery of my awareness for a long time because the name sounds familiar. But I have a feeling overall, it's been one of those things where I've heard the band mentioned in passing. And it was quickly forgotten afterwards because I didn't hear the music. I didn't get anything. It just were a list of bands, perhaps, that were neo-prog bands. Prog bands that originated in the 80s after the initial wave had ended. You thought it was all done. And then bands like Marillion and IQ and Galahad started showing up. So they were kind of the second wave. So I've got more catching up to do because this is definitely a really, really good album. And it, it focuses on thematically the ravages of age, basically (laughs) getting older and what it does to the mind and body, particularly the mind. And it's got a full on kind of eighties throwback feel in, in, in the sounds of the instruments and the textures and, and the arrangements. And yet at the same time that there's these modern flourishes and particularly a heavy influence of electronic that you wouldn't necessarily expect with all of that, because at times they, they bring to mind early eighties saga or it bites uh, with the music. And yet there's that still that modern sound. And there's also some really great vocals in this, you know, the, the harmonies and the primary vocals are just really, really good. Uh, if you also pay attention You just might catch a Peter Gabriel Easter egg in the midst of one of those songs there, which was pretty cool there. Um, So, hey, I'm happy as a clam. I've got another neo-prog band I can explore who've got a fairly extensive back catalog that i got to catch up on. there, There we go. So we're halfway there in the first half of the top 20. Now we get to somebody a bit more familiar to Bleeding Edge interviews, and that would be the one and only Jason Beeler and the Baron Von Bielski Orchestra with postcards from the asylum. So, I mean, honestly, in the last couple of years, there are a few surprises bigger, I think, than the arrival of former Saigon Kick guitarist Jason Beeler into the very open and welcoming arms of the Progosphere community. Who might have thought that? Uh, his debut under the moniker of Jason Beeler with the Baron Von Bielski Orchestra uh, with songs for the apocalypse uh, absolutely established and introduced us to his wildly inventive and quirky style, uh, along with the bevy of prog heavyweights, prog and metal and rock heavyweights he brought into that album as guest performers. Um, and this follow-up absolutely continues that level of Quality that we saw in the debut. Matter of fact, it probably expands his creative palette even beyond what he did that first go around. Uh, in many ways, this one is almost more inventive, more varied in tone and song compositions, uh, going from hard rock anthems to odd time signature, oddball compositions to acoustic ballad to haunting and cryptic mysticism. Uh, this album can pretty much tickle all the spots in one sitting and it just goes and goes and goes all of them have that the gorgeous signature vocal harmonies that that jason has on display and and really 
this year, few albums have presented from my eyes, my ears, <laughs> such a wide variety of sounds and styles in one package as this one has. Um, I think Jason himself is on the edge of becoming a prog heavyweight himself if he keeps producing music of this quality. So kudos there. Coming in at number 13, uh, a late entry that, uh, again, a band that has been under my radar a little bit, but there's probably a reason why. As I mentioned, uh, my getting into the prog stuff heavily and really expanding beyond a core set of groups really happened in the last three to five years. So the reason why I might have missed this one, it's easy to explain. Number 13 is Moon Safari with Himmlerbakken, Volume 2. I almost certainly have mangled that title. Forgive me. (laughs) Sorry. That's what I'm going with. I did not Google the pronunciation. Failure on my part. So the reason why I could have easily overlooked these guys is the fact that they're Swedish. So obviously they're not as big in the U.S. as they probably are in Europe. The U.S. is a little prog dry, let's admit. Um, But it's been 10 years between their fourth album, which was part one, volume one of apparently a two-parter, and this one, volume two. So 10 years, I got into things heavily five years. Look how I missed them. So again, another one of those albums that was long in development. Uh, I don't know that if there's going to be a volume three, but based on the fact that the final song on this album is called Epilogue, suggests to me that no, there won't be. So they have wrapped up this particular story for the time being. Uh, so yeah, they managed to fly under my radar until this year. But what a cool thing, because in some ways what I hear with them is reminds me of Galahad, although I presume these guys are a good bit younger based on their active years and they didn't start in the 80s. They started in the early 2000s. You can hear that influence of 80s era Prague and and neo-Prague in what they're doing. But they throw in some symphonic aspects of it along with some gorgeous vocal harmonies, five-part vocal harmonies, a lot of them, which is mind-boggling there and, and it's really, really impressive. And that who know that this was going to sneak in in my top 20 before the year was over, but it's a word I can think to describe this one that goes well with another album that'll be in the second half video in my top 10 is ebullient. This is just to me a joyful, happy album. This is exceedingly upbeat. And when you think about Prague, which has a, a reputation and a tendency to be um, serious, dour, sometimes morose, <laughs> even, you know, they, they, it's often you don't hear all of this kind of joyful, upbeat, almost poppy music from a prog band. Yet these guys have that in there. And it's so it's like you throw it together. It's like the complexity of yes, mixed in with the pop sensibilities of, I don't know, to pick another Swedish band, ABBA. You know, that might be a good way of describing it, but it's really very cool. You just don't hear that kind of upbeat, happy music uh, with all those pro, all those vocal layers um, in a props, in a prog song. This is more like pop song in some ways, So that is really very cool and, and a great discovery. So I look forward to looking into their back catalog a bit as well. Coming in at number 12, perhaps a little surprise for some folks, Stephen Wilson, the Harmony Codex. All right. So 
if you're here, you're watching this, it's probably no surprise at all that an album from Steven would land on most, if not all, the top album lists for this year. Uh, there are a few figures out there in the progosphere who are as revered and influential as Stephen Wilson with or without Porcupine Tree. This guy is, as I've described at times, one of the four pillars of modern prog. Um, anytime he or Porcupine Tree release an album, solo or together, uh, is an event. It's looked forward to. It's an event. It's a big deal. People are talking about it. People are anticipating it. So that's the thing. And this one is honestly no exception. You know, this is where his background in engineering and recording really, really shines through uh, throughout the whole album. This is a pristine and, and remarkable audio experience throughout the album. It really is. Um, I've actually come to view this album in a way similar to what I had viewed Robert Plant's Fate of Nations at the time. So we can just briefly go back 30 years. But at that time, I remember looking at it as this, this is Robert in his solo career, everything coming together in a culmination of something that was whole and exclusive of itself, but yet somehow brought all those things together in just something lush and remarkably lush and, and could stand on its own even above the others. Like maybe it wouldn't have had the hit songs that the others did. Maybe it wasn't as easily catchy, but there was just some gorgeous stuff that went on on fate of nations uh, before he decided to start digging back more into his folk roots. So it was this album too. That seemed to me like this was the culmination of everything Steven had done and has done as a solo artist. And it brought together all these divergent elements that were scattered across his, his various albums into one thing that felt seamless and didn't feel like some sort of Frankenstein's monster, but felt like they were meant to be together as they are. And there's the electronic and kind of pop and, and the, the programming kind of stuff going on, but acoustic guitars and, you know, the lush vocal harmonies and the combination with him and, uh, Nina, I'm not even going to try and say her name because I know I've forgotten exactly what it is. And I'm going to screw it up. So rather than Manglet, you know who I'm talking about. She always does stuff with him. Um, so it, it really is a very, very impressive album. Um, is it perfect? No, it is not a perfect album. Otherwise, it probably would be much higher ranked than this for me. Yet, I will go out and say that the high points in this album are easily as glorious as pretty much anything he's ever done, just about close to it. The high points are high points indeed. And that's what made this album such a special one for me, even though it wasn't necessarily everything I might've wanted it to be. And finally, to wrap up this half of the list, one that might come as a surprise based on what I've said so far, but number 11, Ne Oblivascaris Exul. Yep. Dave went the death metal the progressive death metal route on this one as we wrap up the first half of the top 20. This is one of those albums where I talk about the idea that successive listens reward. This one has become more enjoyable for me with every go around, every successive listen. And it just the roiling pounding riffs and the drums 
and that paired together with the quieter acoustics, you know, sections of the song, just almost in perfect measure, they, they complement one another so nicely, as does the shifting between the harsh and the clean vocals. I am primarily a clean vocal guy. That's where my headset is. Maybe that's a little bit reflective of my age and where I come from. Um, so, but I can appreciate harsh vocals to a certain extent and in fair measure. So when they balanced them out there as nicely as they did with this and often singing at the same time, that's cool. Cause a lot of times what you have is the person who does the clean vocals also does the harsh vocals a la Opeth or ginger or something like that. So having these two different vocalists splitting that, or at the very least it was mixed that way. I didn't double check that. It, at the same time is a very cool thing. And then somebody threw in a violin. <laughs> then there's this violin with this very kind of, to my ear, like almost Eastern European sound to it. And just the whole thing creates a, such a unique sound. And it kind of made me sad that I didn't get into it a little bit sooner. I've known the name for a while. I haven't known them. I've heard snatches of music here and there, but somebody else I need to dig into because uh, one, these guys are the distinct opposite at this point in time of moon safari in terms of the mood and the tone that they put forth. This is music made for a cloudy, windy autumn or winter afternoon when you're alone. And they did a better job. I think than any band this year of tickling that side of me that enjoys the dark moody music with what they're doing. And this is really a, a, a very fantastic album and it's, it's definitely probably the hardest thing I've got on this list, but it's so cool. I just really dig it. I'm very glad I found them. And being that they did a better job of tickling the darker, moodier side of me on the same year that Stephen Wilson put out an album is saying something. So there we go. There is the first half of my top 20 albums, top 20 prog albums. I keep kind of specify that. <laughs> my top 20 prog albums of 2023. Let me know your thoughts. Did I... Am I off the rails so far? Are there things you haven't heard me mention yet that you're wondering, should I have it in my top 10? You want to take some guesses what I might have there? You might be able to figure it out. You want to throw something else in you think I overlooked? You think I missed? Or do you want to save that till the full list is out? We'll see what happens. But if you think I've gone off the rails, if you think I did somebody dirty, if you think I didn't treat somebody well, let me know. Drop something in the comments section. Tell me your own top 20, whatever you want to do. Meanwhile, thank you for joining me and watching this. Appreciate your time. If you enjoy what I'm doing, hit the like and subscribe. Hit the bell to be notified when I put out new stuff. Social media links are below. If you want to check out my backlog of interviews, you can find them, most of them, in video form here. If you want to find the entire catalog, that's available wherever you get podcasts under Bleeding Edge Interviews. And finally, the link is also below for my Live 365 station, all progressive rock and metal all the time, The Expanse. If you want to check out some of the music we just talked about or you want to learn more about that, check it out. I think you might enjoy it. So this is all I got for now until I get you the second half of this list. This is Super Dave signing off. <laughs>